Howdy. <laughs> I'm Pastor Mark. I'm one of the pastors around here. I'm excited to be able to uh, preach my journal today. So um, I came today with uh, a tablet that I was going to use to preach from. And um, what I forgot to do last night was charge it. So please excuse the laptop up here, but it's, it's my way of communicating. It's, it's how I do it well. And then I have my backup plan in case that falls apart too. So uh, let's get going. So first, I want to, um, I want to uh, talk about a few expectations for today. The first is if you were around Hinchpoint 14 years ago and you heard me preach and you're excited that I'm preaching today, because I only preached 14 minutes last time and you want to get out of here quickly. (laughs) It's going to be a little longer today. (laughs) And then the second thing is, if you only get one thing out of the sermon today, and you guys can write this down right now, I want you to get this out of the sermon today. We serve an awesome God. All right? So if we get one thing out of it, that's it. Also, I'm going to be talking about the church today. And or I will use these terms, the body of believers. So when I say church, I mean body of believers. I don't mean an organization, but I mean us collectively. All right? All right, so for the past year, the Lord has been pressing on me um, this phrase, and the phrase is gospel culture. Um, It all started about 12 months ago, Uh, when Pastor Daniel was listening to this podcast called You're Not Crazy, Gospel Sanity for Young Pastors. And it sounds, sounds, you know, interesting, right? You're not crazy. But I think that this podcast and the timing of the podcast was God-ordained. Because if we go back 12 months, and I think about that, I kind of cringe a little bit. Uh, We were coming off one of the toughest seasons uh, for our whole society in generations. Our senior pastor had just resigned. Our elders were under attack. Our pastors were under attack. Our staff were under attack. And I felt like I was a little crazy for wanting to stick around here. So I started listening to this podcast that was going to tell me that I wasn't crazy. And I started hearing topics about gospel culture. What does the Bible say about gospel culture? Staying honest and showing honor to one another, showing gentleness and showing grace. And I started feeling rejuvenated. I could feel my soul longing to have this gospel culture in all aspects of my life. And so the leadership, starting with our elders, uh, started listening to this podcast. And during the time of change and struggle and all these crazy things that were happening 12 months ago, we started to get grounded in why we are here. We're here because of the good news of the gospel and living a life worthy of the gospel. The culture in our elders meeting started to change. Um, The culture in our staff started to change. And I started finding joy in a time and a place that I thought that it was just gone. So through the past year of asking God what he was doing, he showed me how to live He showed me how to think, and he showed me what was important. So today, I want to talk to you a little bit about what I've learned in this past year. And so today, we're going to be talking about the gospel culture, and we're going to talk about 
three aspects that we have to learn. And one is, is what does the gospel call for us? The second is, is gospel living. And the third is our ultimate example of what the gospel culture is. So you guys go ahead, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter two. As you're making your way there, let me give you a little bit of background. So Paul, he wrote this book. He wrote this letter to the Philippians. He was in prison when he wrote this. It was to the church in in Philippi. Philippi is a Roman colony. And many of the people that lived in Philippi were retired military. And they got their citizenship to Rome to, to, to be a Roman through their military service. So they knew exactly what a call of a citizen or the call of citizenship really was. So Paul, knowing all of this, he writes to them in familiar terms. And I'm going to start reading just a small portion of chapter one to get us started. So I'm going to read chapter one, verse 27 real quick, and then we'll be back into chapter two. So it says this, just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. So I started in verse 27 where Paul highlights the call for every believer to live a life worthy of the gospel, to live a life worthy of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. So I want to just pause right here and I want to put a little emphasis on this. I want you guys to hear me. All Christians, doesn't matter where you grew up, doesn't matter what church you got saved in, where you came from, who you voted for, how much money you make or how good you think you've been, the Bible says that you and I and every Christian are united under a single goal that should define and describe the very fabric of our lives to contend together for the faith of the gospel. Does this make sense? We all on the same page? All right, then let's move on. We're gonna, we're gonna start at 2-1 and spend a few moments today just in a handful of verses that explain to me, and I believe will explain to you how we go about doing this, how we go about living a life worthy of the gospel. Um, so we just talked about the why, the why, why we have to live a gospel life, to live the life worthy, and so we're gonna be talking about how. Um, so let's start. Chapter two, verse one. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit and intent on one purpose. So Paul's telling the Philippians here that because we're united in Christ, Um, that we are all members of his body. Make sense? All right. We have a special bond to one another due to our relationship with Christ. Our attitude towards each other is important. So look at Paul, look at how Paul creates a dependency here. And he says this, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any fellowship of the spirit, 
any affection, any mercy. If, so he's saying, if these things are true about Jesus, then you and I will be forced to live a life differently. So how differently? Well, the very truth of these five things that we just talked about will lead us to live them together and, to cre- and that's what creates the gospel culture. Uh, let me give you a little definition of what culture is. So culture is the material traits of a group, the customary beliefs of a group, the social forms and social norms of a group. And for us, it is the way of life for a Christian. So Paul's telling the Philippians, if you identify with any of these aspects of being a believer, then we have a specific culture that we all belong to. This is the expected way of living. So going back to Philippians 1.27, the call for all believers is, as a citizen of heaven, we are to live our lives worthy of the gospel. So the big question that I had here was, how do we do that? And so that's when we're going to start talking about what gospel culture really is. So Paul instructs his readers to make my joy complete in practical responses with the following outlook towards one another. First one is being like-minded. And when I hear that, I'm like, for what? We probably have 150 people in here right now. You know, how, how is 150 people uh, that all think differently going to be like-minded? Uh, and, and what it means here, it isn't that we all have the same opinions, that we, have, that we all need to have the same preference or even the same spiritual gifts because God created us differently, right? And that is a good thing that God created us all differently because we're all part of the same body but we all do different jobs, have different functions within the body of Christ. So how, do we be, so how are we to be like-minded? And it's this, our mind is to focus on what Jesus wants for his body, not what Peggy wants or not what Mark wants, but what does God want for his body? In all aspects of what we do, we're supposed to be looking towards the kingdom of heaven first. Um, an example of this is... Um, on our, our executive pastors, that's Pastor Steve, Pastor Daniel, and myself, we all have different thoughts, different skills, different opinions. We are all very competent in what we do, but oftentimes we see situations differently. I bet you can imagine kind of what some of those conversations could be like. We have the inventor, Pastor Daniel, the missions evangelist, Pastor Steve, And the problem finder of me, I'm not so much the problem solver, but I can find a problem. (laughs) And then we have 30 years dividing Pastor Steve from Pastor Daniel and I. That's, That's a whole lot of difference. And we could choose to fight over our differences, or we could choose to lower ourselves, to lift each other up so that we can better see what God is doing. Oftentimes, when we come together as a group with the same mind, we're able to see the same problem from different views, from different aspects, and then we can better discern what God is asking us to do because we have so many different views. It's a beautiful thing when we all come, come together. The second thing Paul tells us we have to do is we have to have the same love. 
And so that always makes me ask the question, you know, what is love? If I were to ask all of you guys in here to give me a definition of what love is, only using five words, I would probably come back with 150 different answers, right? And so I went on a website to find the answer to this question, you know, what is love? And so 53 people described love in exactly five words. And so I'm gonna read some of their responses to you and see if uh, this may be what maybe your response would be. Thinking as we, not me. Spooning on a Sunday morning. (laughs) Tackling the world as two. Wiping away his eye crust. And when commitment is a privilege. So those are some nice things, right? Some, some ways people can describe love, but let's see what the scripture says about it. So I'm going to read John 13, 34 through 35. It says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Gospel love Biblical love is a selfless love. That the opposite of selfless love is a selfish love. Humility doesn't mean that, that we put ourselves down. Selfless doesn't mean that we put ourselves down, but rather we lift each other up. Does that make sense? So when the body of believers start loving each other like Christ loves them, a change starts to take place. Trust in one another starts to grow. Our vulnerability with others starts to grow. We start to let others into our lives without worrying we might get hurt because because we have the same love for each other. We're able to think the best of others rather than remembering the worst in others. Why? Because the best in others is Jesus, just like the best in us is Jesus. Everyone around you starts to feel important. They start to feel like they belong because they are important and they do belong. There's something beautiful that happens when gospel love surrounds people. There's something that is so irresistible about that. And then the third thing that Paul tells us to do is being one in spirit and purpose. So the Greek word here for being one is koinonia. It means fellowship or in partnership with. Not the kind of fellowship that we have, like if we went out and had a potluck after church today, and how awesome that would be. We should have done that. Um, But that's not exactly what it's talking about. It's talking about more like a a good marriage is is a good fellowship or partnership together. Um, It's one of those unbreakable bonds. So in this case, it's saying, Are we in fellowship, have this unbreakable bond with the Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit guiding us on our daily walk? And then another little aspect of that is, is are we being silent to hear that? So when we're silent and we rely on the Spirit for direction and prompting, we can't help but be in tune with the gospel. Tracking? I'm throwing out all kinds of words today. Paul is presenting these sentiments as being part of the normal Christian life. Being united in Christ, we are to think 
what is the Lord's will for his body of believers, the church. We are to work together in gospel love and, we, and with the help from the Holy Spirit. So one of the reasons that um, I started finding joy last year was from the time that I was spending with our elders, um, we started putting aside topics, thoughts, ideas that caused disagreements or division, and we began thinking with one mind. We focused on God's will for his church, and our unity began to grow. Even though our elder group is made up of different generations, different backgrounds, I would even say different cultures, um, we started focusing on being like-minded, having the same love for each other, working with the Holy Spirit for the same purpose. We started focusing on fellowship, that koinonia with each other and with the Spirit. And then something special started to happen. The gospel started permeating out of each of us. The leadership of Resurrection Church was different, and we were all aligned with gospel thinking and putting, putting the gospel first. Paul gives, in this letter, Paul gives the positive ways that believers are to behave towards one another, but he also gives us negatives to avoid. He talks about selfish ambition and vain conceit having no place in the Christian life. Our goal is unity and love. And when we see selfish ambition or vain conceit, we see pride. We don't see love. Instead, humility is to, character, is the character, is to characterize the Christian. We are not to exalt ourselves above others. So let me read a little bit about that here in Philippians 2. We're going to go in 3, 4 here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. So do nothing out of selfishness or selfish ambition or conceit. And I just wanted to, to dig in a little bit of that and, and see what we're really talking about. So don't be, don't be self-seeking. And another little nuance of that is... If, if you're being um, self-ambitious or conceited, um, you're not shifting your gaze to something higher. You're not looking to the kingdom. You're just looking in, in the flesh. So when we look at circumstances around us, we oftentimes think, what am I getting out of this? Or I could, I could do that better. Or you know, something in the theme of I. So... Paul is telling us that we're not to look at I, but we're, look, we're to look at you. So it says, the next thing it says, but in humility. And I looked at what humility was meaning. And here it's supposed to contrast pride or elegant or arrogance. Humility, we can look at it this way. So you heard of rose-colored glasses? So humility is the filter. It's the glasses that we look at the world through. We act with humility to, in, to imitate the humility of Christ. So when we're looking at the world, we're looking at it at, through the eyes of what Christ would look at it. Then it says we are to consider others as more important than yourselves. 
And, and this is a, a, a change in our thought process. We have to reprioritize our thinking. Uh, the, is God first, others second, and ourselves last. So that's what we have to start doing. We have to start changing our perspective. We have to reprioritize what's important to us. Because if the gospel love is selfless, then the opposite of that is selfish. And then humility does not mean putting others down, but rather lifting others up. So we're to be selfless by lifting others up. We're all born with self-interest in mind. None of us have to be taught to look out for ourselves, right? You know, as a baby, we're hungry, we cry. We don't think mom's tired, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna let this go for a little bit, right? It's, it's not a thing that, that we have to be taught. Um, but it's foreign for us to think of others first. So that's something that we, that we have to be taught, and we're taught that through the gospel itself. The gospel is to look out for the interest of others. We are to look out for ways we can help others even when they don't see that they need such a help. Galatians 6 talks a little bit about this. It says, and this is Galatians 6 too, it says, carry one another's burdens and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry one another's burdens and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So how do we look out for the interest of others? And I kind of pondered that, um, trying to um, get this sermon here ready for you guys. And last week was such a beautiful example of this. So last week, we had a good old-fashioned hymn sing. Remember? It was fun. It was fun. I was so excited for the generations that grew up with those songs, grew up singing those songs and worshiping those songs. Those hymns have such deep meaning to to you guys, to the folks that grew up with those songs. And it was just a joy to be able to join in and sing those songs with you. It really was. But at the same time, I was very hopeful for the generations that heard those new songs for the first time, the new old rugged cross, because They have no idea. They have no meanings to those. But I was so hopeful that they would be able to connect with those songs and we would be able to be of one mind worshiping together. On the other hand, this week, we had our full band up here and it was more rocking kind of a music. And I was so excited for those generations that grew up with this style of music, that grew up with listening singing and worshiping to this style of music. And I was so very hopeful to the generations that did not grow up with this, that some of this was the first time you'd ever heard these songs. I was so hopeful that you would be able to connect with those songs and to be able to worship to those songs. Does that make sense? In our church service, so in our church, we have six generations of people. In our church service, we have five generations of people. Let me just say, do you know how daunting it is for me to be up here right now? Like, my job is to deliver a message that Christ is giving me to give to you guys, right? Like, pretty, pretty, you know, straightforward of what it is. But I have five generations, five different communication styles that I have to try to deliver my message to. And I'm, just, I'm right dab in the middle. 
So I have two above me and two below me, and I'm trying to connect with five different people groups. That is so daunting for me. The different generations that we have in here, we have the builders, the boomers, Gen X, millennials, Gen Z or Zoomers. So each generation, um, the way they break them apart, it's, it's around like experiences. So it could be a war, it could be the internet, it could be um, COVID-19 and having to do everything on Zoom, Gen Z. And each one, of, each one of the generations has like this different norms that they belong to, different um, communication styles that, that we belong to. So it's tough to try to deliver a message to all of those. Last week, we had Nate Parrish um, deliver a message, and it was a wonderful message. I got so much out of it, and he did an incredible job. Nate Parrish is three generations removed from the builder generation, two generations removed from the boomer generation. And here's the thing, those generations, they could focus on things like communication style, they could focus on dress style or hairstyle, and a riff could start, right? Because we're not, we're not being like-minded. Or we could focus on mutual love for the kingdom, love for each other, and being still and hearing what the Holy Spirit had to deliver us for that day, right? Now, let me flip the switch. I'm I'm equal opportunity here. Let me flip the switch. A few weeks ago, we had Pastor Jonathan preach. And um, Pastor Jonathan, he always wears a suit. He, um, well, not always, most of the time. He's always very professional in the way that he delivers. Pastor Jonathan reminds me of the pastors I grew up with, um, the way he delivers his message, even some of the jokes that he tells. I'm like, man, that is so nostalgic, and I love it. I absolutely love it. Like, hear me, like, I grew up with Pastor Jonathan. It wasn't Pastor Jonathan. Um, One of the stories my old pastor told me when he was young, just starting um, his pastorate at the church, um, the, the congregation came to him and was greeting him and, and a lady came to him. He said it was an older lady and she asked him, do you have cufflinks? And he said, well, yes, ma'am, I do. And she said, well, good. All the pastors at South Main Street Baptist Church wear cufflinks. <laughs> this expectation, you know, it's like, you know, gospel is good, but cufflinks. That's the key. So Pastor Jonathan reminds me of all that. My middle son, uh, Jacob, is four generations removed from Pastor Jonathan. How is Pastor Jonathan supposed to connect with my generation? Well, here's the answer is, is he's supposed to deliver the word that, that the gospel or that the, the spirit gave him to deliver. And it's our job to connect. Does that make sense? So my son can go, nope, this guy looks stuffy and he talks weird and I just don't understand what he's saying. Or he could say, I want to have one mind with you and I want to say that we serve an awesome God no matter what. So what does the body look like when we start living to build others up? This past year on our staff, we started really focusing on gospel culture and what does that look like for us on staff? 
And what we started seeing was we started seeing our staff watch out for each other. And I don't mean defend each other from attacks or anything like that. Instead, we were looking after each other. We started having concern for each other. Hey, I think Pastor Daniel is going so hard right now, and I think he needs a break. And so we would go to Pastor Daniel. This is all not real, but this, this one example, sorry. Um, you know, we, we would go to that person and we would say, hey, why don't you take a break for a little while? Like you're pushing real hard and we appreciate that. We really started looking out for each other. And when we started doing that, it started opening, opening us up to having more conversations. And some of these conversations could be tough conversations. Like when you have a tough conversation with people, it can be really scary, you know, cause you don't know how their response is going to be. But when you start opening yourself up and you start letting down your guard to let someone in and start having those tough conversations, it's so much easier when you know that, that we have the same love. We share the same love for one another. So it's so much easier to go to someone and say, you know, you really hurt me when you said that. Or, you know, when you said that, that really confused me. Or I don't understand why you did that. Can you help me understand that? It's so much easier when you know that we all have the same love. Um, wouldn't it be really cool to be a part of a church where everyone was patient? Where we all thought the best of each other. How amazing would that be? And let me be real, real honest with you guys. I think we do. Like, I'm not, I'm not up here scolding us saying we don't do this. I think we do. I think we're a wonderful church. I think our body of believers care for each other. I just think I'm, this is all about reminding us of who we are and what we're expected to act like. Um, oftentimes when we read 1 Corinthians 13, it's the love chapter, you know, it's, it's that uh, love is this and love is that. And we oftentimes think of that for marriage. But I really think of that as what gospel love really is. And it says love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrong. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. And here's key. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things and endures all things. Sounds great, right? No? <laughs> well, that could be the end of our service. Your homework is to go and do that. <laughs> so it's really easy to say. It's real, real easy to say, just do that. That's all you have to do. But it's so much harder to put together an action plan and if I'm being honest, this is kind of where I've been. So, so we've gone this far in my sermon to talk about where I spent most of my time of logically understanding the actions that I'm supposed to take, but still not feeling like I'm living a gospel culture. Does that make sense? So let me talk a little bit about that. I remember I had this conversation with Daniel. I was feeling frustrated because I've, I'm six, seven months into this gospel culture journey. 
and I don't feel like I'm connecting, but I look at Pastor Daniel and I'm like, the, the man is gospel culture. I've, you can see the work that the Spirit's done in Pastor Daniel. You can, you can feel it just leaving his body and going and just meeting people where they're at. And it's such an amazing thing. It's so attractive. And I wanted it so badly. And I'm just looking for it, looking for it, and I can't find it. And I tell Pastor Daniel that, look, I can define this. I can point to examples, but I don't feel like I'm connecting. And so we talked a little bit more and um, the conversation ended and I didn't feel like I got too much further down this process. It was super frustrating, super frustrating. And so, you know, part of my prayer life began to be, you know, God, show me, show me what it means to be in this gospel culture. Show me how to connect the dots. And what I started to end up doing was I started watching people. When I saw the gospel culture living out in people, I started watching people and going, what are they doing? You know, what, what, what are they doing to, to make this happen? And here's what I found. And, I, and the Lord really, he, um, he confirmed this as I was going through this process. But there are two practical actions that we can take in order to help us start living this gospel culture life. And as I started doing these things and started understanding why I was doing them, it started connecting the dots of, of why we behave this way. So the two things are we have to be learners and we have to serve each other. And go with me here. It may be a little bit of a stretch, but I think it will def- it, you'll be able to see what I'm talking about here. It is super hard to love people you don't know. It's hard to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things with strangers. Yeah? It's hard for me personally to put others first if you're a stranger. It's just hard. Um, so therefore, we have to be learners. We have to leave our comfort zone and have conversations with people. Listening to people is one of the easiest ways to learn how to put others first. It's also one of the easiest ways to start loving them when you start knowing who they are. Listening to people adds value to the people. When we talk to God, God listens to us, right? Does he listen to us to to learn from us or somehow get something from us? No, it's impossible, right? Like God, God knows everything. He doesn't need anything from me. I need everything from him. He doesn't get bored with us when we're we're just babbling on about how my feelings got hurt. What he tells me is, is, tell me more. I want to hear about your heart. Why? Because he loves us. And he thinks that we're important. And he wants to add value to our lives, not the other way around. Pastor Steve... I would say is a lifelong learner. Pastor Steve and I have these conversations all the time where Steve's like, tell me about this because I have no idea. And it's so that he can connect. Pastor Steve is amazing. Last week, there was a couple that, that was new here. They looked different. And Pastor Steve, when it was time to greet, ran up to those people and were like, hey, tell me about yourself. Real quick, they looked nothing like Pastor Steve. And he immediately ran up to them. 
one of the conversations that um, Steve and I has had, and this is an example of his learner, is uh, Pastor Steve one time asked me, why does your generation wear holy jeans? <laughs> and I was like, that's an interesting question. But I was like, tell me, why, why, do you, why do you care? And he's like, well, my generation, when we grew up, we, we, we wanted to wear nice things. And if you had holy jeans on, you were poor. You couldn't afford nice jeans. Or you just didn't care what you looked like. You wanted to look like a bum, right? And so I was like, well, that's interesting. I was like, in my generation, holy jeans are, are fashionable. They're, they're nice. I can't afford a nice pair of, of holy jeans. So when you see people wear holy jeans, especially at church, they're wearing their best. <laughs> Honestly, like that's what's happening. <laughs> and he goes, oh, well, that makes much more sense. And, and now we can have a barrier, right? Like my generation thinks this, so therefore you're bad. Or why do you do that? Ah, makes sense. Cool. Let's have a conversation about it, right? So today... I wore my fancy britches, my casual shirt, and my fun shoes and socks. I'm trying to meet all the generations. <laughs> Pastor Steve wants to have these, these, these conversations so that he can learn, so that he can better connect with people. And that is such a huge example of what we should do. I'm not saying, you know, you got to go and have a conversation with everybody. But what I am saying is, is like, if something's like that is interesting or that goes against me, but I'm going to think the best of them and I want to love them. So let me go have a conversation with them. That's all I'm saying. It's super easy. I'm not saying you have to, to go talk to everybody, but as it pops up in your mind, take the time and go have a conversation and figure out how I can love you. Make sense? All right, second thing that we can do, and that is we have to serve others. When you serve somebody, the idea of self-ambition or conceit melts away. Melts away. Because how can you serve somebody and try to get something out of it for yourself? You're not serving them at that point. You're serving yourself. So go and serve somebody, whether that be going to work in kids, serving the parents that are here or serving your wife tonight when she's folding on the clothes, you can take it away and say, honey, let me do that for you. Go and serve somebody somehow. And if you need, if you need, a, you know, some help, we got lots of departments that can use you serving in them, but this isn't a call for that. This is a call to help you be a part of the gospel culture by serving somebody to take your mind out of me and putting your mind on you. So those two simple acts of becoming a learner and a servant made living a gospel culture click in me. I started with the call this morning because what I was missing, what I, what I was having trouble connecting the dots were those acts. The truth is I've been loving people I feel like I've been loving people. I feel like I've been serving people. It's not anything new to me, right? Doing those acts are not new. It's just something that I do. What I wasn't connecting the dots were is I'm doing this to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. 
that's what connected the dots. When I started doing those items, it connected me back to I'm living my life that is worthy of the gospel. So Paul shares a hymn with the Philippians here at the end of this to connect them to another example. And this is the example for all Christians. So I'm going to read that to you real quick. It's Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It says this, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. So takeaways for today. What I talked about at the very beginning is we serve an awesome God and we are called to live a life worthy of that. We are to live a life worthy of the gospel. We are to love each other and put others above ourselves. There are two easy steps we could do to help us connect the dots of what we do to connecting it to living a life worthy of the gospel. One is to become a learner. Go ask questions. Don't don't sit there and just ponder and think the worst, but think the best of people and go have those conversations. And then we are to serve others. Let's put aside the need for I and work on you. And finally, if you're here today and you have no idea what this gospel thing is, but you'd like to know more, in just a few seconds, I'm gonna say a prayer. We're gonna have our prayer team come forward And we would love to talk to you about what the gospel is and how it's such a meaningful thing to us as believers. If you have any prayers or or concerns, you can come forward also. Let's say a quick prayer. Father God, Lord, we thank you. We love you. God, thank you for what you've done by sending your son to die on the cross for us, God. Lord, help us live our life worthy of that sacrifice, God. Help us love each other well and care for each other well and lift each other up, God. Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.